to hear from God on a regular basis is an ongoing lifetime adventure for every genuine believer whose aim is to grow spiritually and please the Lord. But sadly, many believers never develop ways to receive direct guidance from God, and they live most of their spiritual lives in a fog. But there are definite biblical promises for divine guidance in all our life situations. I want to share with you at least four of them that have helped me through the years. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. Divine guidance is promised by God to every true believer. We don't need to consult the dead or psychic mediums when the living God is available to every believer. One of India's modern-day apostles, Brother Bak Singh, went to glory in the year 2000. And although I never had the privilege of meeting him personally, nevertheless, I've been impacted by his books as well as biographies written about him. One of the characteristics of his close spiritual walk with the risen Lord was receiving daily guidance. Receiving frequent guidance is extremely important to a believer like me, called to travel the nations as one of the Lord's messenger girls. Many men claim that women shouldn't preach the gospel, but in the Bible, we see the Lord has women disciples, women sitting at his feet, and working for him. After all, he sent Mary Magdalene to proclaim the resurrection to the male disciples. Brother Bak Singh was born to Hindu parents, but he was dedicated as an infant to the Sikh religion. He later became a born-again believer and was greatly used all over India and in many nations to preach an uncompromised gospel message, both in colonial India and after India's independence. Those were days when many missionaries and indigenous pastors offered up a social gospel. India is one of the most spiritual nations on earth, and its modern leader, Mahatma Gandhi, did admire Jesus, and particularly the Sermon on the Mount. But as far as we know, he never embraced Jesus as Lord. Meanwhile, Brother Bak Singh received a vision of the cross of Messiah planted in the very heart of India. And with great political incorrectness, he fearlessly preached salvation through Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He was also a Christian reformer and promoted the simplicity of New Testament faith. Much of institutional Christianity has hindered the progress of the knowledge of the Lord in nations like India and Pakistan, and even Israel itself will never become a Christian nation per se. You see, when Jesus returns to Israel as King Messiah, he will be regarded as thoroughly Jewish, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Certainly, he will not be regarded as some sort of Christian liturgical priest. Among the many criticisms of Christian missions has been that Christianity is too Western to find acceptance in Asia. 
but divest Christianity of its European trappings, retain its essence, and much of the opposition disappears. Endeavors to present the gospel in its original oriental form are always fascinating to me because I know that Jesus, as Israel's greatest native son, belongs not just to Israel, but to all nations. You see, his teaching transcends all cultures. I'm profoundly grateful for the efforts of Asian preachers such as Bak Singh, who attempted to divest Jesus of everything that was not New Testament faith. Even though previously Brother Singh was strongly opposed to Christianity, he later became arguably India's foremost evangelist and indigenous church planter. His adventures with the risen Lord began when he attended church out of politeness to a friend. And although he had been inside many temples and mosques in India, he only knelt down in church as a courtesy. But when he knelt, suddenly he felt a great irresistible change, divine power coming over his whole body. The first change he noticed was great joy flooding his soul. Brother Singh said that he used to wonder why some Christians had joy and some didn't. He observed that those who entertained doubts about this word of God didn't have joy. He became a voracious Bible reader for the rest of his life. He said, I thought that this book belonged to the West, but when I read it, I heard the voice of the Lord saying to me, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you will bear fruit that will remain. Brother Singh also experienced a vision of his body covered with black sores, but he heard the voice of Jesus telling him that his sins were forgiven and the sores disappeared. He was particularly awestruck by the Lord's power to forgive sins because in no other religion had he found assurance of the forgiveness of his sins. Once on a train in India, a Hindu asked Brother Singh why he was a believer in Jesus. And he answered, because Jesus had forgiven him all of his sins. And the Hindu also asked, but if you don't belong to any one church or mission society, how does God provide for all of your needs? And Brother Singh answered, the whole amount of the world's money could never have taken away my sins. But if you can believe that God can forgive a sinner, it's also very easy to believe that the same living God can supply all my needs. Well, amen. I also believe this, and I know it by experience. Brother Singh's revivals on missionary compounds have become legendary. On a Presbyterian compound, he found the believers there in a very low spiritual state, and he asked God to have mercy upon them. Rather than despairing or doing nothing, that's a simple prayer that we can pray anytime over people for God to have mercy on them. He did that and he felt very tired and wanted to sleep, but at midnight, he heard a loud knocking at his door. I found that fascinating because many times in the night, I've also heard the Holy Spirit knocking on the doors of hearts in India and Pakistan. Brother Singh called out, who's there? But when nobody answered, he decided that God was calling him to pray for souls. And this went on for five nights, resulting in a very powerful revival. 
People were literally struck down to the ground by the power of God. They wailed over their sins in meetings that sometimes went on for up to 13 hours. One of the missionaries begged Brother Singh to stop everything that was going on, but he answered, I didn't start it. God did. Well, after many months of soul searching and nights in prayer, Brother Singh felt led to begin local assemblies pattern on the New Testament, according to Acts 2.42. That verse tells us that the early believers did four things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, they didn't give up the regular Jewish hours of prayer, but continued in them. His indigenous movement in India resulted in more than 10,000 non-denominational local assemblies. Missionary statesman Norman Grubb wrote that in all his missionary experience, these Indian churches were the nearest he had ever seen to a replica of the early church. Meanwhile, denominational preachers and missionaries sometimes resented and persecuted him, but he continued to reform the church in India. Crowds gathered in the open air to hear this man of God. Many seriously ill were healed when Brother Singh prayed for them. Even the deaf and those who couldn't speak began to hear and speak. Well-known Indian Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias has said that Bak Singh's impact for Jesus in India and worldwide has been immense. So how did this great man of God receive divine guidance? We have to understand and learn that first a person must be born again. When a person is born again, that is when your spirit has been regenerated, the Word of God becomes a living thing that actually speaks directly to your heart because the Holy Spirit is in your heart as teacher. Two believers could both read the same Bible passage but hear various aspects according to what the Holy Spirit wants to emphasize for them personally at that moment in time. So first of all, being born again is key. The Bible teaches that spiritual regeneration is necessary and begins by simply admitting our need for the Savior, that we're sinners and we're willing to turn from our sins. That's repentance. Then when we believe that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and rose from the dead, through prayer, we can actually invite the risen Lord to come in to our lives and control our lives as Lord and Savior. Before his conversion, Brother Singh couldn't understand many things, but reading the Bible answered all of his difficulties. And throughout his lifetime, he read through the Bible many times. For example, if you are, say, 70 years old and you've been a believer like I have from childhood, Hopefully, you've read the Word of God through at least 70 times. During his Bible reading, when Brother Singh came to Hebrews 13:8, a wonderful verse which says, Jesus, the Messiah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He stopped and reminded God that he had been suffering from a nasal affliction for many years, and his eyesight had become very weak. So he simply asked by faith the Lord to heal his nose and eyesight. And in the morning when he woke up, to his great joy, he was healed. The Lord has led me in similar ways many times. You see, if we don't always have the faith for instant healing, we can pray 
and go to bed, forget about ourselves and wake up discovering that we're whole and recovering and well. Now, according to Colossians 4.12, God's desire is that believers stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. But this requires constant spiritual exercise that we may discern the will of God in our lives. And how can we be certain of God's will? I found that very few believers are able to answer with confidence. But according to Romans 12.2, believers are admonished to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For example, if you want to buy something important, you have to test it. You have to prove it. You have to take a car for a test drive. A piece of gold or silver must have a certain mark on it. In the same way, we have to prove and test what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's not enough just to pray in a general sense, but we're expected to seek God, to ask Him questions, and discover His will for our lives. And Psalm 143, verse 19, should be our heart's prayer every day. That verse says, Teach me thy will, for you are my God. I always said to my sons that their success would be found in discovering the purpose for which God had created them and called them into the earth. But some believers become very impatient when God's will is not immediately discernible. They can't wait and they often opt for something that's not God's perfect will or for something that's perhaps His permissive will. But you must believe that God, our loving Father, will communicate His will to us. He is our unfailing God. So say to yourself, God has promised that He will cause me to hear His word. He will direct me. The Bible says we'll hear a voice behind us saying, This is the way. Walk in it. And when we've made this determination a habit, we won't be stressed out. We'll increasingly put our trust in the sovereignty of God who orders our footsteps day by day. In the beginning, as we walk with the Lord, is a bit of a struggle, but by practice, hearing from God will become a way of life. You'll learn whether it is God's voice you're hearing or your own voice. For example, in 1 Kings 19.12, we read that God's voice is actually a still, small voice. God had to take the prophet Elijah out into the Arabian desert to teach him how to hear his voice. We have to live very close to God to hear that still, small voice. People who don't regularly fellowship with God and who don't meditate on His Word find it hard to hear His voice. It simply won't suffice us to read a two-paragraph devotional in the morning written by some popular author. It won't suffice even to hurry through a chapter of the Bible. We must give God time to speak to us. Psalm 46.10 declares, Be still and know that I am God. So after our own voices are quiet, we'll be able to discern God's voice. Having learned how to be still, we learn how to acknowledge Him in everything. Proverbs 3.6 is a principle of spiritual life. That verse admonishes us that in all of our ways, submit ourselves to God and He will make our paths straight. Isn't that a wonderful promise? And it's so true. 
We can't learn to hear accurately from God with any confidence in a few weeks or even a couple of months, just as you can't master a musical instrument overnight. But by practice and patient daily waiting upon God, we can learn to find and prove His will on the matters that concern us. And we have to learn to go to God first. Even if it's a small matter, ask God to make His preference clear to you. Be sure to inquire of Him before inquiring of anybody else. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That is the promise of God for all who want to be in His perfect will, for those who want to stand complete in all the will of God. Now, in Hebrews chapter 13, one of my favorite chapters, verses 20 to 21, we have a summary of how to find the perfect will of God. This passage is actually a benediction that my dear father of blessed memory often recited at the end of his Sunday services. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus the Messiah, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This benediction, I want you to notice, begins by mentioning the God of peace. Yes, he's the God of peace in our lives. God's peace is directional. It's a supernatural heavenly peace like a river that we begin to recognize as something totally outside of ourselves. We have to wait for God's peace. It's like an umpire before making any big plans. Don't do anything without God's peace. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus, it says, from the dead. This verse speaks of resurrection power. The same power by which the Lord Jesus rose again from the dead should be active in our lives. That is, if I'm willing to die to myself and die to my own ideas and plans, then God can give me His ideas and plans. So let's pray, Lord, create in us by your resurrection power, your thoughts, your ideas, your plans. He's also mentioned in this passage as that great shepherd of the sheep. This suggests that I must recognize my position as His sheep and His authority if I want to be in His perfect will. He's the one that leads me beside the still waters and feeds me in green pastures of his word. He leads me in paths of righteousness and so on and so forth. This passage goes on to say that we will be equipped to do every good thing according to his will through the blood of the eternal covenant. Now mentioning the blood of Jesus is an important principle for divine guidance because the blood of the covenant cleanses us whenever we ask for it and it cleanses our thought life. You see, many times we have wrong thoughts, selfish motives, foolish thoughts, inordinate feelings, and these can be real blockages and hindrances. We have to learn how to apply the Lord's atoning, cleansing blood to our hearts and to our thought life so that our conscience may be clean all the time. We can hear the still, small voice of God better when we have a clear conscience. I feel it's important at this point to repeat that if you're not sure if you're born again, 
the Bible teaches that repentance of all sins and a turning to God and receiving the Lord Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, as Savior and Lord, causes us to be born again. And he promises to come and dwell within us, the Father and the Holy Spirit, with their presence. Within us comes peace and guidance. Then first of all, we will begin to recognize what believers call the witness of the Holy Spirit. Because the Lord and the Holy Spirit now dwell within our spirits. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we will sense definite direction intuitively as when God directed, for example, the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It was a call to action. The Lord told Samuel to arise and anoint young David. For the Spirit of God said, this is the one that God had chosen as king. The witness of the Spirit is an inner knowing about things. Only a born-again believer has this ability because the Holy Spirit dwells within and gives the strong leading or witness. As another example, I've often spoken on the Apostle Paul and how he went up to Jerusalem, although he was warned by many prophetic people not to go. Yet he knew in his heart that God was sending him. Paul had learned to be sure of God's perfect will regarding directions, and he was determined to go to Jerusalem in spite of the prophecy of a strong personality like Agabus, who said Paul would be arrested. Yet, after his arrest, Jesus himself stood by Paul in Jerusalem and told him that he would testify for the Lord in Rome. Now, we may occasionally hear the audible voice of God, and that's fantastic when it happens, but most of the time, and on a regular basis, we'll begin to recognize God's still, small voice. Related to the inner witness and to the still, small voice is the peace of God. As I said, the peace of God, or the lack of peace, is also a tremendous form of guidance. Just don't do anything without the peace of God. Heavenly peace makes us sense God's presence very strongly. I've gone to many dangerous places to share the gospel, but the peace of God has accompanied me. Once, because of circumstances, I was traveling alone on a mission to Africa. But I sensed the presence of God tangibly during that trip, and His peaceful presence in my room was very comforting. Also, while riding up and down the highways from Faisalabad to Lahore in the nighttime during a gospel campaign, although we were assigned an armed guard, the peace of God was so tangible that I knew we were in the perfect will of God, surrounded by angels, completely safe. Well, Brother Bax Singh discovered what I also have discovered, and every true believer should know this. God speaks directly to us through every verse, potentially in this Bible. As we read it, the Lord highlights certain verses and phrases that give us direct guidance. So secondly, I've learned over the decades of walking with the Lord the secret of the precious witness of the Word of God in addition to the inner witness. In my opinion, receiving divine guidance by reading the Word of God is not taught often enough. I'm certainly not suggesting that you should just lazily open the Bible and point to any verse willy-nilly, although God in His mercy has deigned to speak that way from time to time. However, Psalm 119, 
verse 105 declares, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's for our safety to have God's will confirmed through some portion of God's word that we read during our morning daily devotional time. You see, when we systematically and prayerfully seek God's guidance, often light and direction will spring from the portion we happen to be reading on any given day or from the Torah portion for the week. Sometimes we're not actively seeking a word. We're just dutifully and prayerfully reading God's word. And yet suddenly, unexpectedly, some light, some guidance will speak to us as verses are illuminated concerning a question that we've had. And the Holy Spirit will give some marvelous confirmation or direction. This has happened to me countless times. Often when I have a question about divine guidance, I'll commit the matter to the Lord in prayer. And within a few days, I'll read something in the word that gives definite direction. Once I was wondering if we should go somewhere by air or by sea. And my reading happened to include a verse about God making a path through the sea. And so a voyage was confirmed. Number three, to know God's will, you often need the help of strong believers. Fellowship is a very necessary ingredient in the spiritual life, and without fellowship, we can be handicapped. When you come into touch with fellow believers, you find that God will always give someone a burden for you in prayer. A friend was told that she had an enlarged heart. When she went to church, somebody approached her and said that they had a word for her. Let not your heart be troubled. And she was healed on that simple word from the Lord. So a lot of divine guidance involves finding with whom we are related in the body of Messiah, joint to joint. Find the fellowship, the people with whom you belong. God's servants and various co-workers are very important to consult from time to time to determine if they have the same witness in their spirits as you do concerning a matter. This is why the trustees of our ministry are so important that we get the same mind on a matter. The prophet Daniel prayed with his friends in Daniel chapter 2, and God revealed the king's secret to Daniel. And number four today, I'd say when circumstances justify it, sometimes, not always, but sometimes we may petition God for a sign to be fulfilled, to confirm his perfect will. I've sought God's guidance about going to places, and God has always directed us marvelously. Once the pages of a prayer book with definite verses from the Psalms were blown by the wind and became entangled into the vine at our front door. What a sign. I've always kept those pages as a holy reminder of God's specific guidance. Well, I hope this program has been helpful to your spiritual walk. For your further edification, we also publish a ministry magazine called Exploits with articles about healing, deliverance, Bible prophecy, and end-time events. There's also a 24-7 library of video teachings at our website, exploits.tv, where you can also read about our anointed prayer conferences in Jerusalem. If you've been helped by this program, please encourage me by contacting me on the social media. We also invite you to download our free Jerusalem Channel app from your app store that has information about our videos, ebooks, and a Bible reading plan.
The name exploits is based on Daniel 11.32. Now, in the Hebrew, it, of course, it doesn't say exploits. It just says the people who know God will be strong and take action. But the King James writers put in exploits based on the idea that we will do the works of the Lord. Well, until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem, I'm Christine Dar. Shalom and Maranatha. What an amazing panorama of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. To the east is the Mount of Olives and beyond that the Judean wilderness, the Dead Sea, and the nation of Jordan, where presently 600,000 Syrian refugees have escaped. It's hard to imagine that right beyond this horizon, there is a holocaust going on amongst the Christian population of the Middle East. That's why the Jerusalem Channel has been created, to bring you a perspective of biblical events in the Middle East. When you visit our website every day, we have updates on news, prophecy, and what's happening and how it all tells us that Jesus is coming soon to establish His rule in this city. We want to invite you to become a supporter of the Jerusalem Channel. If you give in the United States, please know that your gift is tax deductible. And in the United Kingdom, we can claim gift aid on your donation. And so we invite you to get behind the Jerusalem Channel. There's never been a day like right now. We have so many opportunities to share the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles. Israel is rising again and God is visiting this nation. So stay in touch at exploits.tv. I'm Christine Doric. Shalom.